This is season six, episode 15 of Beyond the Illusion. Pendulum Alchemy with Dr. Eric Hunter. In this episode, we have a conversation with Dr. Eric Hunter. Eric is a scientist with a PhD in biology, as well as a healer, among many other things. He developed a manifestation and healing system called Pendulum Alchemy. This is different from pendulum dowsing, where you ask a question and receive an answer based on the movement of the pendulum. This is a special technique where you are creating a new reality using a pendulum. I think it's interesting that manifestation techniques have become a central part of the increasing awareness that our species is undergoing at this time. The idea of manifesting a better life for ourselves highlights the critical nature of our thoughts and the potential they have to shift reality. And of course, I believe the subconscious motivation for these ideas is to create a world where everyone is able to experience a positive, loving, and fulfilling life. Let's go to our conversation now with Dr. Eric Hunter, Tiana Roser, and myself. We're really excited to have you on our show today, Eric. How did you get into this modality, pendulum alchemy, pendulum healing? Oh, thanks for asking. Yeah, it's a great question. It was not a direct route. Let's put it that way. I was trained as a scientist. I went to Cornell University, worked at the American Museum of Natural History, got research PhDs in the field of biology. That happened. And so I was always interested in nature, the natural world, but I tried to approach it in a legitimate way. Simultaneously, when I was younger, I had paranormal encounters with ghosts and things like that. And so I was aware that there's other things. And also as a scientist and naturalist, I was just curious about how the world worked, not how people were going to tell me that it worked. So I started seeing some of the limitations of like the scientific approach I was taking. Then I got into education for 10 years as a consultant working in this giant school system in Atlanta. So that all happened. But in the meantime, in the background, I had this interest in esoteric studies, applying it to the real world, observing things happening in nature. And in 2012, I just had enough of all the previous stuff I was doing. And I moved to California, spent a few months in Bali, and then I studied with a healer there learn how to do a healing method while I was there for two months. Then I came, I went back to California because I'd been living in Atlanta and I moved to California and I went to Bali and I moved back to California. And when I was there, I was trying all kinds of healing modalities because I, when I was in Bali, I realized I wanted to try doing healing work because I thought it had some kind of a scientific basis in consciousness and energy and awareness. I was just really interested in that. I want to help people too. So like helping people. So to make a long story even longer, <laughs> I was trying out all these different things and I, I learned how to do alternative back pain healing methods. And I got coaching on how to develop that into a business and it was totally unsuccessful. No one wanted it, no one cared. <laughs> Meanwhile, I had this weird thing I was doing with pendulums that I didn't think anyone would be interested in. I learned about it. I saw like a thing on Guy MTV or something. Once And then there were these people in Europe doing kind of like a version of what I do. And so I learned the basic idea from them and that I just was practicing it and then coming up with my own, I think, make observations. 
And when I was living in Ojai, California, I was kind of frustrated. I wasn't having the success I wanted with my back pain healing thing. <laughs> wasn't working. And I contacted all these healing centers. And then this one healing center, I told them everything I did. And they're like, you know, we really like you, but we're not interested in anything you have to say. And I was like, okay, all right. And they're like, you got anything else? Like, what else have you got, man? And I'm like, all right, I do this thing with pendulums. They're like, that's it, pendulums. Give a talk about that. I was like, okay. So I went and just gave this talk. I didn't think anyone would care about this. I mean, I was doing it all the time, but I didn't think anyone else would care. And I gave the talk and everyone was like, wow, I felt my energy shift. That was really cool. And then there was this guy during the talk. He was like, it was really strange. He, I think he may have had like Tourette's syndrome or something because he was swearing a lot. But he stopped me and he was screaming at me and he said, I will not let you continue unless you promise to write a book. And I was like, all right. I was like, sure, I'll write the I'll write a book about this. Okay. And then he let me finish. So I gave a talk. Everyone was really happy. So I was like, how do I write a book? I don't really, I mean, I'd written a dissertation, a thesis, but I never thought about writing a book. So I looked and I saw I could write one on Amazon, just self-publish it. So I self-published a little booklet made a Facebook group. Lo and behold, people were joining the Facebook group. People were buying the book. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> I had no idea. And then it just kind of took off from there. And then it just kind of started getting a life of its own. And so that's how it got started. And then at this point, my interest in it has continued because like, it seems to be a very effective form of magic. That's very easy to do and has real world effects you can get pretty quick. And then also it ties in with my esoteric interest because I found an angle to it that ties into alchemy and magic and also religion and spirituality. So kind of in a nutshell, that's that's a story. That's such a cool story. And for our listeners, I have a cold and that's why I sound funny. I always have this sort of philosophical question and I'm curious what your answer is when it comes to sort of magical work and your story, there's a lot of elements. It seems to me like you were divinely guided to be doing what you're doing now. You try this other thing and yet these opportunities came. When we're doing these kinds of practices where we want to focus our will for something, but then there's also the divine will. And I have this question for myself a lot too. Sometimes I'm like, I just want to be a pure instrument of divine will, however I'm needed. But then how do we navigate or where do we find the parameters between where we apply and use our personal will or where we trust and allow divine will? What are your thoughts on that? That's a great question. And it really requires a nuanced answer because you're right. Like we have our egos, we have our interests, we have our desires and needs and wants and things. So we project that out into the world, but then at some level too, like everything, when you do my numerology, no matter how you do it, it's 11. So it's like, I'm freaking on the spiritual path, whether I want to be on it or not. Everything I tried to do in the material world ended up getting like pushed into the spiritual at certain points, it was like a carrot and a stick. It was like, we'll be nice to you and you do this. And then I'd be like, no, I want to do this. My ego would be like, I want to become a school administrator. I want to become a college professor, all this kind of stuff. And the universe is like, uh-uh, <laughs> that ain't going to happen, buddy. And so like, that's when the stick would come down. So over time, I've learned when to recognize that it's going to be, if I don't follow the spiritual path here, then I'm going to be in trouble. So I guess it's a matter of balancing, like being true to yourself. And for me, it's always like, well, what's the right thing to do? How do I grow as an individual? Because that also entails spiritual growth, moving beyond certain, raising your consciousness, vibration, whatever. But 
then a certain level the ego wants to get in so that that's been a dance i've been doing like i mentioned this before we recorded that i wrote a book recently on the sun and about in relationships and it like in one sense it has not been successful in the way i wanted it to that was purely my i made all these observations really fascinating discoveries and but it's like my ego and spirit was like no you need to do the pendulum stuff more because that like the sun stuff is not flying so the way i worked around it was that recently I've found a way to introduce the sun work into my pendulum work. So I think that would be the answer to your question is that like, yes, you are going to have desires. You are going to have wants, whatever, that may not be in alignment immediately, obviously with your spiritual path, but either a, those experiences that you have will prepare you to do what you need to do in the work. Like everything I did as a researcher, teacher prepared me for what I'm doing now. I can talk, I can write, I can do that stuff think critically. But then at the other level, it's like, there are certain things you are just going to want to do in this lifetime. Spirit be damned. <laughs> like I want to do this. So then you have to find a way to somehow raise your vibe around it. And like some things, it's just like, they're not the right time or just not the right audience. Like when I try to go into the world of purely of magic, unfortunately, it's like a very low vibration generally. And they're just not ready for what I'm doing. But the pendulum people have already bought into the idea that we're raising consciousness, doing this for the highest good of all. So I have an audience there of people who are already at a very high level of vibration. So now my goal is to try to bring them into the world of magic a little bit that I'm really interested in and kind of raise their awareness of that. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. And I want to point out from doing your free Pendulum Academy intro, like I was immediately impressed by the way that you focus in such a high way, because yeah, what you're just saying about the magical community being a low vibration, I sort of come in with that kind of skepticism or whatnot, because I have seen that a lot of times people just wanting to learn magical aspects for their negative, selfish intentions and everything that you say. And even all the examples, they're so high level, like you can use this to heal animals. I'm thinking people are probably coming in like, oh, how can I make more money? But all your examples are like really collective and broad or just very positive. And so I could see how since that's something that you are creating, that your people in your group, they're all vibing at the same level as you because you put that out and that's who you attract. So that makes a lot of sense to me. I would like to go back, I guess, because we haven't really started yeah. at the beginning of what I learned from watching your free e-course, which I will put a link for that. And I really encourage everybody. You have other ones too. I'm like, oh, I need to try these out too. I didn't have time, but just the basic, what is the difference between pendulum alchemy and dowsing, which is probably how people are more familiar with using the pendulum? Yeah, no, great question. Yeah, so the pendulum alchemy, what that is, it's using a pendulum to shift reality. And it's involved with your consciousness, but also with metaphysical like things, like the spinning action of the pendulum. And then there are also secondary things like the shape of the pendulum and how it affects the energy fields. Whereas in the past, most people approach pendulums as pendulum dowsing, where you're using the pendulum to answer questions. So what happened was in the 1980s, people have been using pendulums to answer questions for a long time. But then in the 1980s, certain individuals realized that, wait a minute, you could actually use this as a magical instrument to shift reality and cause changes. 
They, they actually invented it for horse races to rig horse races in France. They were trying to win gambling. Anyway, so that's another story. So what happened was there are some people like there was this guy in America who independently kind of discovered some aspects of it, but he incorporated a lot of the dowsing. And then in Europe, though, a lot of people were doing this idea of it shifting reality. And so that's the primary difference there. So most people, including myself, when you start with a pendulum is to ask questions. And that's like a very passive activity in the sense you're saying to the universe or the world like or spirit what are my choices but pendulum alchemy is about okay you can ask like what your choices are and tap into your subconscious and get an answer or you can attempt to shift reality and make things occur in the way you want it to occur but unlike other magic systems i always say you have to do it for the highest good of all so that it's that way it's like a fail safe that will stop it from not working and it's interesting because you will see things happen that do work out for the highest good of all in very unexpected ways. So yeah, that's the difference between al pendulum dowsing and pendulum alchemy. Pendulum dowsing is just a passive way to use your pendulum. What are my options, A, B, or C? Pendulum alchemy is like, well, how do I create option D? <laughs> how do I skip all the options and just create a totally new reality that no one has ever thought of before? And it's like all real magic is subtle. And everything is in a state of flux, but if you subtly push things in a certain direction, things can start to fall in place and happen and change can occur. I love that because it's not at all what I would have expected. When I went to go through your course, I'd had no, really no idea like what it was. I thought it was the answering questions thing. So I was pleasantly surprised when I went through it and it's very well done. I, I love your website. It's really thorough and there's a whole bunch of stuff you can do there. Like Tiana was saying, I, I didn't do it anything outside of the introductory one, but I plan on going back for sure. People are going to get sick of me saying this, but I read a lot of Dolores Cannon and I was just listening to one of her books today and it was talking about how certain people want, like you were saying, certain things to happen in their life. Like we have this ego-based idea of where our lives should head and we really aren't consciously able to guide them that well, you know, because things always come up and they were saying that, you know, somebody's subconscious came on and said, yeah, that there are energies and entities that are out there. And if you really want to do something that's going to affect a whole lot of people in a negative way, they'll put up roadblocks. And so to you, it'll seem like, dang, like I can't make this happen. Like no matter what I do, like something comes up and gets in my way and I just can't really force my way through it. And so, yeah, I love that there's this way that you're kind of saying, well, instead of really like brute forcing your way through life, there's a, another way that if you kind of entice the, the your path through reality by saying it's for the greatest good of everyone. And I noticed too, like when I'm making an intention with the pendulum, you know, because I went out and got a pendulum and I, I started oh, cool. thinking, <laughs> yeah, I did. And uh, I started thinking differently about how I wanted to make my wish, you know, I, I started thinking like, well, I can't make it too selfish because at the end I'm going to have to say, you know, for the highest good of everyone. And so, <laughs> so it kind of turned but my... you can, though. That's the thing I want to say. Okay. I don't want to interrupt you. You can be selfish because you're saying for the highest good of all concerned, if it works out, it was in everyone's highest good. And sometimes there'll be unexpected side effects where people will benefit from you asking for what you want. Okay. Okay. I just yeah. had to throw that out there. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Cause I was modifying my desire by saying, well, 
you know, maybe I should make it like this. And then that really will seem like it's for the better good of everyone. But you're saying that that's really not necessary, I guess. It is good, though, that you were thinking of that, because one of the goals is to raise your consciousness to get to a higher level, like on that Hawkins scale. That's why we're spiritual beings here having this incarnation and we may attract weird stuff is because we're trying to help these people get to a better place. But also you as a human incarnate being have needs, wants, desires. Everyone has them. And it would be like spiritual bypassing if you said, no, I am not going to desire doing this because I want to be a good person who's going to raise my vibe. And so I'm thinking like, well, why not have a both and like, Ask for what you want. I mean, if it's obviously you don't want to do something completely unethical or ask something totally crazy like to hurt somebody or something like that. But within reason, like ask for what you want, because like I said, sometimes it works out in like very interesting ways. Like I give, I can give you a very concrete example, if you like. So uh, I was helping this person with a lawsuit and they were in this horrible situation where this school was suing them for their student loan debt. And it was like a David and Goliath sort of thing. This person had almost no resources. It was totally unfair. School had like millions of dollars, the best lawyers possible. So I was like, okay, so they wanted me to help them. So like, okay, so here's the deal. And I've helped several people like with this sort of thing. Like, here's the deal. You're going to have a karmic journey on this. You got to learn the lessons that you need to learn. So that's going to be a part of this pendulum work. But then, and you're going to try to win too, but you're also going to send them love. You're going to raise the vibration. You're going to ask that the outcome be for the highest good of all. And most people are like, wait a minute, though, I want to win the lawsuit. And I'm like, only if it's in your highest good. And so this person was willing to go with it and they flow with it. They trust me. And they and it was amazing because the person had a total healing. Like there was some sort of karmic connection with this school and the person. She was able to heal that, come to peace with it and, you know, be rightfully upset about what had happened, but not let it ruin the person's life. And she was able to move on and really heal it. The school, she won the lawsuit. Then the federal law changed so that now schools can't give this kind of loan anymore. And now the school has to give the students a legitimate real loan. So it worked out for the highest good of all concerned. But normally when people go into a court case, they're thinking, I want to win. It's adversarial. But when you come with love and high vibe, it throws everybody off. They're like, whoa, they don't know what happened, you know? That's really beautiful. I love how balanced your approach is. And I love that you mentioned about spiritual bypassing, because I think that's such a really good point. Yes, I want to be like Jesus Christ and Buddha, but I also want to acknowledge I'm here. And if I'm um, not honoring that I came into a human body to have a human journey, which is learning through trial and error and exploring these desires and so forth, and finally evolving my consciousness so that my desires are coming from a higher place, then I'm missing the point of being here. And I've been on both sides of that as well. And so I really, really appreciate how balanced your approach is. Oh, thank you. Reminded me of that book, Siddhartha. Have you ever heard of that book? Oh, I love that book when I was a teenager. Yeah, Yeah, because he's like, that's, that's his whole journey is like, he starts out and he's like this super spiritual person. And then he decides he's not gonna do that at all. And he goes like completely into like what he considered was the real world. And he experienced all the highs and lows of everyday people. And then he went all the way full circle and came back to be a spiritual being. Yeah, no, I love that. It's a great example. So yeah, what both of you brought up, it's exactly it. I mean, 
we can't deny our human desires as a low vibe as they are. Sometimes something that's low vibe is actually trying to raise our vibe. Like if you get angry about something, it's better than being apathetic. So we're constantly trying to raise our vibes, whether we know it or not. But like you said, if you just try to force too much of the spiritual stuff and then try to be a saint all the time, then you're going to have all the shadow stuff come out. And that's what happens to so many of these gurus and all this stuff where they end up abusing their students and all these crazy things. So yeah, I'm trying to present this pendulum alchemy as an everyday form of magic that where you help yourself trying to get what you want, but having the intention that it's going to be good for everybody else. And once you start doing it a lot, you start having all kinds of really cool things happen. Like your own consciousness becomes raised. Like you were saying, like when you were making the commands, like you started actually thinking about like, what are my desires? So that's an intended consequence right away. You're articulating what you want and saying it in reality and empowering it with principles of magic, like circles, the magic circle and spinning motion. And then you're not spiritually bypassing because you're being honest about it. But at the same time, at the end of the day, like you said, like it is going to bring you to a higher place spiritually, but at the same time, you're going to help yourself and others on the material realm. So, and you're not forcing it, you're letting it evolve naturally. So it's more like a gradual way to do it. That's similar because I teach Reiki and I'm a Reiki master. I like that some people come to Reiki because they have chronic knee pain or because they're depressed and they just want to give themselves Reiki and get better. But the cool thing is because it's this beautiful high vibration is that as people, whatever reason why they start off using it by using it regularly, it's raising their vibration. And so generally people are awakening and lifting their vibration anyway. It reminds me of that. Yeah, no, definitely. It's the same, same principle. Do you think that it's like a practiced skill too? Where as time goes on and the more you do it, the better you get at it, the more, the more you're able to make happen with it. Yes. Yes. And no, it's very accessible. Like, I don't know how much you guys got to practice it, but like, you can just pick this thing up, do some commands and you can see shifts happen right away and not really know anything. I always tell people like, take the pendulum and since they can't see this, I'll describe it. You take the pendulum and then you may either let it spin, seemingly spin by itself, or you make it spin in a circle. And then you say what you want to have happen. So like, let's say you're going to go to the grocery store, right? Say, okay, raise the consciousness of everybody in the grocery store. And then let the pendulum spin around until it stops spinning in a circle. Then you can say, send love and healing to everyone at the grocery store. Like I witnessed myself getting everything I need quickly with ease, joy, and grace. You know, and then like this or something better, right? Then go to the grocery store and see what happens. Like, are people more friendly to you than normal? The lines move fast. Like I'll go to the grocery store and there'll be like a ton of lines and I'll either use like a little necklace pendulum or maybe sometimes I use my finger if I'm desperate and I, I, you can send love with your finger and it's okay to kind of spin your finger around. I don't recommend it for other things because the pendulum does stick into the energy field, like for healing and stuff. So you don't want to stick your finger in there. But like you're just sending love, it's okay. So you just, you're stuck in the grocery store, you're wearing a pendulum as a necklace or something. You just kind of whisper silently, like send love and healing to everyone. You'd be surprised. All of a sudden the lines will open up, someone will open up register and they'll be like, hey, come on over here. <laughs> so yeah, but I do think that the more you do it, you kind of build this field around yourself where more positive stuff starts happening. But then sometimes too, you'll have negative things happen, but you handle them better. So that's another thing too. So it's not all roses all the time, but yeah, you definitely like a lot of times people say like, oh, can I get a healing from you? Then the healing will kind of happen before I even do very much. Like, 
But I think it's because I've created like a healing field around myself at this point. But at the same time, I have a course on time machine healing. So I don't know if it's because time, the future, present, and past all exists. So <laughs> it could be retroactive. They could have been, I could have done the healing and then I don't know. Anyway, so I won't go into a rabbit hole with that. But anyway, see, I do think you get better because like there's certain things like when someone's a beginner and they first start off, they overdo it. Like they are wanting to use their own energy. And that's not good. You want to use the pendulum's energy. Now you are going to use energy holding the pendulum and thinking and talking. But beyond that, you don't want to project your own energy into the mix. So let's say someone stubs their toe or something, or your kid gets hurt in a soccer game, and it's not serious enough that they have to run to the hospital. You can just take the pendulum out and then just hold it over them and just kind of let it spin. If it's one of these really high vibration ones, and often that will relieve the pain, or you could just say neutralize the trauma or whatever. Or, you know, I witnessed total healing. And that's another thing. It's like with quantum physics, like you just witness the reality you want and then you energize it. Anyway, so where I'm going with this is that when you're a beginner, you think, oh, I have to make this happen. And so you project your own energy. You start like spinning the pendulum for way too long or way too hard. But so it's when you start doing this a lot, you learn that it actually takes very little effort. It's just a little subtle spin couple words and that's good the other way it helps to have more experience and knowledge is you kind of learn like what approach to take so i have all these different courses and so sometimes it's just simple i witness the healing or sending love other times you may need to do a more elaborate thing like a time machine healing where you go back to when the event occurred and do healing in the past or it could be color healing where you send specific types of colors or different energies um, we have one called resonance healing. It's all about the law of attraction. So one of my students invented it and we developed a course together where you get your thinking and your feelings in alignment. Cause you know, if you don't feel something, you can't manifest it according to the law of attraction. So we got a way to do that with the pendulum. So the more magic skills you have in your tool kit, but even if you don't know much, just having the pendulum and just knowing this concept that you can just spin it in a circle and say what you want to have happen can cause changes to occur and they can be profound at times. I love the simplicity of it. So are you saying that the power of it comes from the joint, the power of our intention, plus the magical circular motion? And I guess yes. also the pendulum, the instrument itself. Have yes. different so ones. Uh -huh. Yeah. So oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, yeah, no, please. I'll, I'll gladly kind of break that down. It's multi-layered. So a fundamental level, the most important thing is the circular spinning. And you see this throughout history. So for example, in magic, they always have a magic circle. In Sufism, the dancers spin in circles. The Buddhist prayer wheels go in circles. In most religions like Judaism, Islam, they walk in circles, they call it perambulation, around the holy thing. Why in the world are they doing that? Because there's something magical about the circular motion. And the pendulum is tapping into that. What I think it relates to is there's this concept in magic called the principle of correspondence, where one thing embodies the power of another thing. And in my view, the pendulum, when it's spinning in a circle, it's like the earth spinning around the sun. And so it taps into that same primal force of creation and destruction. So we get the seasons of the year. You know, we get all these different cycles that generate in nature from the earth going around the sun. And so I think magically that's what it's tapping into and that's why it's causing shifts to reality. So that's the most important aspect of the whole thing. Secondarily, it's 
It's your thoughts expressed as words. If you're strongly psychic, you can have some effect just thinking about what you want to have happen while the pendulum is spinning. But for most people, in most cases, it's best to say it because the spoken word has more power than thoughts alone. And that's why in a lot of traditions, religious and magic, they speak the prayer, they'll speak the spell, they'll have an incantation or a charm because the spoken word has a lot of power. It puts thoughts into a physical vibratory form that can go out into reality and energetically affect things. But as we all know from doing the law of attraction work where you have, or doing mantra work with like in India tradition, spoken word is good, but it's lacking at some level. You know what I mean? A lot of us have done law of attraction things where we didn't see a result right away, or maybe didn't see a result. You can do a lot of mantra and it will definitely shift things. But when you add that spinning action on top of it, it brings it to a different level of power and strength. And then the other aspect is the shape of the pendulum itself. This is not really well understood. If you're really sensitive to energy, like you're clairvoyant or clairsentient, if you hold one of these things that's designed with this energy in mind near you, you can really feel it. And it stimulates the human biofield to have a reaction. It will also work on inanimate objects too, like computers and stuff like that and have an effect. It's interesting. And then animals, like if you hold one of these over an animal, they're so sensitive, they feel it right away and they start relaxing and they'll start sleeping and just going into state. A couple other things I forgot to mention about the spin. There are some other interesting things. So spinning creates a rhythm and the pendulum spins at about the same rate as a delta wave in the human brain. And a delta wave causes relaxation and sleep, which is healing. So there's a lot of layers to this, but like at the simplest form, the spinning action in the circle is the most important thing. Secondarily saying or thinking, but preferably saying what you want to have happen into that. And then the shape of the pendulum. And I told you I could go on for hours. I can't stop myself. I got one more thing about the circle. So there was this famous philosopher of science. His name was Marseille Eliade, and he was around in like the 1900s. And so he had this concept called sacred space, and he wrote a book called The Sacred and the Profane. And what he said was that if you can demarcate off an area of the world and say that it's sacred space, that is where the divine can enter into reality and cause shifts to occur. So that's why they build churches. That's why they'd have a sacred mountain, a sacred tree, sacred rock. Or in a village, they would put a pole in the center of the village, that'd be the center of the village. And then, you know, so, and everything happens around that. So when the pendulum is spinning, you could argue that it's creating that sacred space that Iliade talked about. And in that sacred space, reality is not, it's not bound by the normal rules of reality. So that's like another like theoretical justification for this stuff. Oh, that's super fascinating. Does it matter the direction that you're spinning? Can it be clockwise or counterclockwise or does it matter? Yeah, it does not matter. When I first got into the field, everyone was like, oh, it's like clockwise is adding, counterclockwise is taking away. Over time, like me and my students, we've just discovered you just got to get it spinning. It doesn't matter what direction it spins or how it starts. Like you can even just hang the pendulum off of something and just hit it with your hand and get it to spin in a circle. And that works as good as you holding it. So it's just something about circular movement. And like I said, I think that's why the Tibetans have those prayer wheels that spin in circles, why Sufis do dances, why people walk around the Kaaba and Mecca in circles. It's because it's a magical, there's something magical about that circular motion. 
Yeah, I never really thought about that when you started to mention that. I was like, oh, yeah, that's so cool. What about the space that you're in? Is it affected by the energy? Because for me, if I'm going to do any kind of healing work, I always go and I clear the space and I protect it and so forth and ground it. Does any of that stuff matter for this? It does not, but you can use the pendulum to support those practices you're talking about. So you could either use the pendulum to do all those things, or if you're doing another practice, you can use the pendulum to support that practice and make it even more powerful. So you mentioned earlier that you had this other thing with the sun. Could you, do you want to elaborate on that? Or do you feel like comfortable talking about that? Okay. Yeah, sure. I mean, it does relate to the pendulum work. And what I realized is that the sun, it appears to rise in the morning. And then during the morning time, it's almost like the sun is gestating, like it's growing in strength each hour. And then at 12 noon, the sun reaches its highest point. And then from 12 noon until around three o'clock, the sun is is really at its strongest, especially at around three o'clock. And then it starts to wane and it starts to decrease in power until it sets. And then in the evening, there's still some in the twilight, there's still some light, there's still some heat. But then by midnight, the sun is now just completely gone, except maybe off reflecting off the moon or something. And then from midnight until around four in the morning, the sun is basically absent. So when I was doing this pendulum work, I discovered this really interesting chart. And the people who made the chart didn't understand the significance of it. But there was like a picture of the pyramid of Egypt and Giza, the Giza pyramid. And they said that, well, you can correlate the signs of the Zodiac to the pyramid. And then I was looking at the chart and I was like, well, wait a minute, that pyramid has a perfect north-south alignment and it's in the Northern hemisphere. So that means it's perfectly aligned with the sun on the equinox. So then I started saying, wait a minute, that means if the Zodiac correlates to that, well, then it must mean that the sun correlates to it because the Zodiac is a reflection of the the sun's apparent movement through the stars. So I was like, okay. So that led me down this rabbit hole where I realized that like all the major religions, like a lot of things in esoteric studies that are considered to be very mysterious and also in Chinese medicine and stuff, it's all based on just the simple observation that the sun rises, the sun is in the sky, then the sun sets, and then it's gone. And I did this course recently on the classical elements. And since we're not doing like a visual thing, I can't show it, but like I can just, I can show you guys. It's very simple. Like the sun rises and that's the element of air and it's an upward pointing triangle. And how do you know it's sunrise? Because they draw a line through the triangle showing that the tip of the triangle, the sun is rising over the horizon. And then a fire is when the sun is in the sky. It's an upright triangle. It's just by itself. And then earth is when the sun is going down into the earth, it's setting, and it looks like from a layman's perspective, setting into the earth. So that's why the triangle is upside down with the line, because the tip is now going below the earth. And then water, the sun is absent. So it's the same triangle as the sun, but it's turned upside down. And so there's something going on here with this apparent cycle of the sun. But I found out that it's like an entire system of magical correspondence. So it correlates to a human life. So morning is gestation and pregnancy. Then at 12 noon, it correlates to a birth where the sun is now born. It's free. It's no longer gestating from the night anymore. It's now free to live. And then the afternoon is like the life of the sun. The day has its existence when the sun is influencing the world maximally. And then evening is the process of dying. You don't die instantly. You die over a series of phases. 
And then midnight is the end or death. And so the sun is gone, but it still exists somewhere else. So night is like the afterlife of the sun. It's just like a human, like there's a lot of medical evidence that consciousness can exist, the death of the body. You don't see the body anymore, but it's still yourself, your Atman, the consciousness, whatever is still around, at least in some cases, and can then reincarnate. So I realized that this cycle of the sun explains a lot of things, like almost every major religion symbols it explains. Like, so like Christianity, the Catholic cross, where the, the bottom part of the cross is longer than the top part and the, the horizontal bar. Well, that's emphasizing midnight or death. And that's because their central theme is the death of Jesus. So they're going to emphasize death as the main thing. They use the solar symbol that highlights death. For the Egyptian Ankh, the the cross is there you have the death accented but then there's a big bubble loop on the top and that loop is just like you know a woman with the carrying the baby in the womb right and so they were obsessed with the afterlife the symbol of the ankh is showing that life is the gestation period for the afterlife and that when you die you're born into the afterlife i realized a lot of these religious symbols like in mason freemasonry christianity buddhism Buddhism, um and then also various occult things like Elephas, Levi, all these like, and also Chinese medicine, like it all relates to this very simple pattern of the sun. And then you can very easily explain why the symbol, what it means based on its correspondence with the sun. But then that opens up the door because once you understand that, you can correlate the times of the day and you get the magical hours. You can correlate the seasons of the year. You get the solar rituals of the pagans. You can get the magic tools because you can determine which element corresponds. If you go back to the ancient Greeks, how do they define the element? You can see, well, which part of the day does it correspond to? Then you know where the element belongs. And then you know what force is dominant. It's so like the morning is the force of creation because the sun is creating itself as it rises. The afternoon is existence. The sun is in its existing and influencing the world. The earth, the evening is ending. The sun is now dying. It's like a dying. And then afterlife or post-existence is night. So you get all these magical correspondence. You can correlate color, musical notes, all kinds of things. And then you can figure out what the, the underlying magic force is of that correspondence. And you can use it for magic. Like all moon magic is just based on this. Uh, the full moon is birth. And that's why a lot of women are very attracted to doing magic on the full moon because it's the same energy as the birth of a child. The dark moon, which is really good for manifestation, that corresponds to the end or the death of the sun. And what's happened there, everything from the previous day is now gone. So the slate is clean. The, the field is fallow. You can plant new seeds and then those intentions will develop over time. So there's an explanation for why these things work. Because a lot of people do these practices like moon magic but they, if you ask them, well, why does it work? They don't really have an explanation for it. So my thing is just one possible explanation. <laughs> That's really cool. So, of course, it can be as complex as obviously the way your intellectual mind works. You can take it really far. I was curious, do you use that in conjunction then with your pendulum work that you will? 100%. Do certain... mm -hmm. Yeah, no, great question. So like in pendulums, when I got into the field, people were sending colors with it. But the color definitions were kind of like arbitrary or kind of random. But now, like, I have a system that's based on this. Like, there's this one energy called blue-green energy. And before I even knew about the system, we were using that energy to help people feel more healthy. And it's very, like you say, send blue-green. Like, 
you go into a room, send blue green, change the energy of the room to blue green, or someone's injured, change your energy to blue green. Anyway, a lot of people have reported over time that it gives really good results. Like, and the question is, well, why? And it turns out that that corresponds to three o'clock in the afternoon, the strongest point of the day. So it's the maximal stage of existence. So if you send that energy to someone, it is giving them a stimulation that their body can respond to of the force of existence. And that's life itself. So if they have any ability, their body will naturally want to gravitate towards that to heal because you're sending it to them. Yeah. So that's kind of how it's it's incorporated. So now what I do is whenever I make these courses, I don't necessarily explain to people all the nitty gritty because I realize it's too much, but I do try to base every chart I make or every system on this so that I tap into that magical power and help people with it. And then, like I said too, like the pendulum spinning action is this cycle of the sun rising and setting every day, apparently, it, but it does have power, even though it's an illusion. It's like, it's kind of like if you're in a car, like if you're in the car or on the side of the road, and the car drives by, if you're in the car, you see it one way, if you're on the side of the road, you see it another way, but no matter how you cut it, that car is driving past and there is something happening, you know? So like, it's the same thing. Like, yeah, the sun is not moving. It looks like it's moving, but there's still an energetic force that's there that's in nature other things the pendulum itself represents the earth element and in my system that's the evening or ending so every time you use the pendulum you kind of subtly interrupt or end what was going on before and then that lets you put a new intention in and then that new intention now doesn't get as much interference from everything that was happening previously and it allows it to possibly start to manifest and then grow do people ever get overly dependent on their pendulum yes. like oh my god i don't have my pendulum how am i gonna yes and i try to discourage people all the time from doing that it sounds ironic but i definitely don't want yeah i've seen people like oh my god like they're just like walking around they're just like i can't make any decision in my life without my pendulum and so that was why when i first started i never even talked about pendulum dowsing i only talked about using it to magically shift reality and then i always tell people you have to take real world actions too like, don't just sit in your room doing your pendulum and expect it. Now, sometimes it will. Like, I did it once and got a giant check in the mail the next day that I didn't expect. But, but that's the exception to the rule. Normally, you got to take, you got to live. You got to engage the world. You got to talk to people, do things. You can't just be like a nerd in your room just doing this <laughs> pendulum stuff all the time. And you can't make yourself a victim of it either. Like, my pendulum says I can't eat ice cream or I can't go to the movies or, oh no, what am I going to do? My pendulum doesn't like me anymore. That's so crazy. It's like, you got to empower yourself and live. Like that's the other goal. I mean, I want people to really live and enjoy life and get what they want out of it and make it good. So if they're just becoming dependent on this stuff and making decisions on their own, especially with the dowsing, that's where it really see it. But with the alchemy, if you're doing it right, you are also acting in the world. Like you do it to get a job and you apply to jobs, you network, you talk to people. While you're in the interview, you send energy before the interview, you send energy when you send your resume out, you do all kinds of things. And this is just like a supplement to your life. It's not meant to become your whole like existence. I just wanted to ask one more question as sure, far as consent. Because you did mention on the e-course, so these really good intentions, like, oh, if my coworkers are having a difficulty, you can use it for their highest good to help their relationship or whatever. But is that without getting their verbal consent? And is the idea that if you say for the highest good, that that's okay? Or I'm just curious how you deal with that. Right. So, yes. I mean, if you are comfortable with sending healing to someone 
as long as you say for the highest good, it won't work if it's not in their highest good. That's the magical fail safe. But, you know, feel free to ask. I mean, like if you're more comfortable asking or only comfortable if, if you ask somebody for permission, then just do it. But in some cases you can't do it. Like someone's on their deathbed mm -hmm. or it's an animal. You know, like you see a bird on the, that hit a window or something. I can't tell you how many birds me and my students have saved with this stuff. I once like caught a little mouse and accidentally in a trap that was like a blue trap. And I felt so terrible. I took it out. I took one of my pendulums, worked on it. Obviously I couldn't ask for consent of the mouse, you know, maybe I was an animal communicator. I could, but so in some cases, or if someone's like, I've seen pictures, like I'm driving by a car wreck or something on the road, you know, I'll later do some healing for that or something, you know? So in some cases, if you feel called to it, and you can't ask for consent, as long as you're safe with the highest good of all concern, I feel like you're safe. If you really want to be overly cautious about it, you can only do it if there's consent. If someone tells you they don't want it, I don't do it. Like if I know they don't want it, I just won't even do it, even if I feel like they need it. Cause there's no point in, you know, there's no point in like doing that. Cause like they have their, their choice. So if someone definitely, if they tell me no, then I won't even do the highest good thing. I'll just be like, that's, that's their free will. I'm not going to interfere, but if it's if I feel called and I can't ask for permission, then I feel it's okay as long as you have a good intention there. Yeah, that's very similar. Well, so many of the things that you said is very similar to Reiki and how we practice it. And yeah, oh, cool. exactly. Like that's the example when I'm teaching Reiki, I joke a little, like you can ask your dog, do you want Reiki? Do you want Reiki? And if they wag their tail, that means yes, but that's just my joke. <laughs> but this stuff works great with Reiki. Oh my oh, God. Yeah. Okay. Insane results. Like, so what you can do is like, before you do the Reiki session, you can heal all their chakras really quickly. Oh, wow. You can go through and you can heal their aura, their chakras and do it in like, like less than a minute. And then let's say there's some other issue that you sense come, or they come up, like you can work on it with the pendulum. You can also do Reiki on like, I mean, pendulum on enhancing the effect of the Reiki, harmonizing the Reiki with their body. You can do healing on your Reiki lineage with the pendulum. I'm actually going to make a new course on that soon. But anyway, yeah, people have gotten epic results combining the pendulum with Reiki because they work with totally different types of energy. Mm. Reiki is channeled energy, the source energy, but this is something totally different. This is light consciousness movement. So it complements it very nicely. Ooh, that's cool. I like that always happens in my class as well is that people go, oh, can you do it for this? And I'm like, I never thought of that. What a great idea. So yeah. I like you have all these different applications for how you yeah, can. Yeah, like I, I would do it for the students who are coming to my Reiki attunement. I would do it for the advertising for the program. Uh -huh. Send a message out to all people, no, 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 and to sign up for this. If it's in their highest good, help have the money, motivation, and the resources to sign up for my Reiki training. Yeah. When you're there, harmonize the relationships of all the students with each other. Like you can do it before the session. If someone has some other issue come up during the Reiki, like they start to cry or they have some, or they have something like that it triggers that you couldn't address directly with Reiki. You can just do like a prayer almost. You can just tell them, well, I can do a little prayer for you if you want. And you can, you can turn this into a prayer like dear God or dear goddess or spirit or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can just send some nice energy and yeah. Ah, I love that so much. Boy, we've had some really great guests. I have to say oh, thanks. the conversation went by so fast. I can't believe it's over. And I was just wondering if you want to tell our listeners where they can find you, where they can find your books and all that. Yeah. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. So the website is easy. It's pendulumalchemy.com. And I have lots of free resources on there. I have several, I have like four courses that are free and like, you can just study those free courses 
and learn enough that you can start doing healings right away, start shifting things. And you can determine for yourself, is this a modality that I like or and I want to continue to, to learn more with, et cetera. I also have lots of like low cost things. So like you don't need a lot of big investment to get started. I've also got a YouTube channel where, you know, if you just Google my name, you'll Eric Hunter Pendulum, you'll find tons of YouTube videos that are free. And also I have my custom pendulums on there. I have courses. I also have a certification program where people who want to become professionals, I help them, I train them, I mentor them and help get them going. And so that's also there available as well. And so are the books and the books are also on amazon.com. Thank you. I want to give a shout out to Nina Jolly. That's how we found out about you, how we connected because she read your books and took your courses and she was just raving about you. She's brought a few of our other guests as well. So I just wanted to give a shout out to her. That's fantastic. She's awesome. Woo! <laughs> Thanks, Nina. Yeah. And thank you, Eric. Thanks for coming on and taking the time to talk with us. We really appreciate it. I really enjoyed it. It was fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Illusion. I'd like to say thank you very much to Eric Hunter for taking the time to talk with us and for sharing his gifts and knowledge with us. To find out more about his services and courses, or even to purchase a pendulum or any of Eric's books, you can find all of that at pendulumalchemy.com. There are a ton of resources on there, and I highly recommend trying out some of them for yourself. Thanks to everyone that made this podcast possible. Produced and hosted by Tim Howe and Tiana Roser. Music by Casey Henson. For more information about us, or to access past episodes, please visit beyondtheillusionpodcast.com. And please remember to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you listen. This really does help other people find us. Thank you and take care.